This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill är så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Yes! Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky. We've got a special episode for you today, but before I introduce our special guests, let me first introduce my co-host, your friend and mine, the fantasy hockey robot, the rotisserie rapscallion, the maestro of the matchup, the player projection pundit, Brian Hello, everybody. Hello, Elon. Hello, mystery special guest we'll introduce in a minute. Elon, I just want you to know every episode is special when you're on it. Oh, thank you. But it's specialer with these guests we have. Yeah, for sure. We've got a crossover going. It's one of our favorite fantasy hockey podcasts out there. And it's called Fantasy Hockey Podcast. We've got David and Brandon from the Fantasy Hockey Podcast at Fantasy Hockey PD on Twitter. So excited to have you here, guys. Yeah, we are absolutely stoked. I feel like this has been a long time coming. Maybe too long. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you guys, I feel like your content is fantastic. You're doing, you know, what we dreamed of back in the day. You know, you're giving people advice, telling them who to add, who to drop, who to draft. It, it's a great show. I really like it. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy to have you guys here to get your opinions. Because actually, the plan for this show, before I throw it back to you guys, just to let everyone know, anyone who listened to our almanac, you know, Brian had been blabbing about it forever if you didn't listen to it. Uh, we went through every single fantasy-relevant NHL player, and we gave projections for them. And a lot of them, Brian and I agreed, because Brian's a smart guy, and I tend to agree agree with what he thinks but there were some players that we disagreed on and that's why we need the judges david and brandon to come in and decide who's right between brian and elon so that's why you guys are here today oh boy Looking and brandon and i disagree plenty as well so we'll, we'll probably disagree here again it's a favorite thing to do yep it is then we'll have to get a fifth person. That's gonna that's gonna be really unhelpful, guys. You're gonna have to get on. You have you're gonna have to both join Team Elon or Team Brian. I, like I don't just want to turn a one-one tie into a two-two tie. Oh, I'm happy to do that. Brian, who knows? Maybe uh, one of us will convince one of us. We won't even need the judges, and then we could just talk the whole time. But that would be stupid because we have these great guests. Okay. By the way, we just uh, recorded an episode for Fantasy Hockey Podcast where we did kind of the same thing. So after you listen to this, definitely you want to download and subscribe to Fantasy Hockey Podcast and listen to our uh, show there. It was really fun, 
and also all the other shows that they do. But okay, so with that, if you guys are ready, I'm ready to just get to the first player. Let's see how many we can knock out in the next hour or so. I am ready. Sounds good. Okay, so the first player, I'm kind of going in order of like highest projections, and then we'll get down to some guys where you'll probably say, why are you even arguing about this no-name player? <laughs> but uh, let's start at the top. Alex Barkov, this guy, such an amazing season last year. 96 points, just keeps trending up. And I, in the Almanac, said, I think he's going to just keep going higher. I projected him for 100 points. Brian was like, no, you know what? I have reasons to think that maybe he won't be able to do it again. And he was down at 90. So we're like a 10-point difference. My argument was like one big thing I looked at is the fact that from February 1st on, Barkov was even better than his 96-point pace. He was like tops in the league at 49 points in his last 34 games. Uh, Shows me that he still has room to grow. Brian, do you want to give your quick counter-argument before we throw it to the Fantasy Hockey Pod guys? Yeah, for sure. So like Barkov, 100-point guy... One day, eventually. And I think with some great variance, he'll get there. So it's not at all out of the question. Uh, But without that great variance, I'm not sure he can. Last year, he shot 35% on the power play. He scored more than... So that means he scored on more than one out of every three shots he took. 13 times, 34 power play shots. And that's in a year where he lost 50 shots on goal compared to the previous year. And a big reason for that was Mike Hoffman's arrival in Florida because Hoffman took Barkov's role as like the top power play trigger man. So I don't think Barkov's getting those shots back. And I don't think he's sustaining that super high power play shooting percentage. So that's why I have him uh, doing actually a little worse. Oh, that's so hard to say because he's a young player. Uh, But yeah, that's why I projected him to do, uh, yeah, a a little worse in 1920 than he did in 1819. So Gamby, let's start with you. What team you want? I got to go with Brian on this one. Um, yes. I think it's impossible to ignore <laughs> that high shooting percentage. Uh, like you mentioned, you know, it, it it's 23% higher than his three-year average uh, recently. And of course, look, there's been additions. He's gotten better. Sure. But you can't ignore the team around him and how they're shooting as well, which factors into his assists. And his on-ice shooting percentage was way higher than his career average, uh, 11.5 versus 10% on his career average, which makes me regress his assists just a little bit. And like you said, the shot production to me is not promising, and I don't see that coming back to him. Uh, He might shoot a little bit better than last year, but overall his shooting is decreasing, like you said, largely because of Hoffman. So for me, I have him in like that, you know, 85-ish to eight to 90 90 probably like that big upside but more in like the 85 range i think is what i have i've been coming down but hey he is still a beast and still provides a ton of peripherals yeah i'm i'm if i remember right i projected him in the low 90s so Mm -hmm. a little higher than brian a lot lower than than alan (laughs) so um i think i'm i'm probably on team brian on this one too as much as i like barkov and i do think i do think he's got that 100 point upside i'm just not I don't have enough here to point me to it for this season. And like you said, I don't like betting on kind of 100-point upsides early on. Like, in those first rounds, I'll take the best value possible. Um, I, Brandon and I always talk about raising the floor in your first few rounds. And for me, Barkov is that guy. But when I'm projecting, at least especially in those first five rounds, I like to be a little bit more conservative. And... To me, Barkov doesn't feel like a safe projection to say, you know, 100 points. To me, 85 feels like a better safe, like, you will get that. You, will, you won't be disappointed at all with Barkov. Uh, and really, it just gives him upside. 
Yeah, I mean, everything you're saying makes sense. And maybe draft strategies obviously do need to take into account this like ceiling and floor, which here we're just cr- trying to come up with a single number. So I get you. But also, if you guys are in drafts with me, you're just not going to get Barkov because clearly <laughs> you're waiting for him as an 85-point guy. And I will have already grabbed him in the second yeah, round. Yeah, and apparently foolishly, Elon, because two guys who don't agree often on anything both agreed with me. <laughs> Damn. All right, one nothing for you, Brian. Let's go to the next player. We got a flipped situation here where Brian was higher than me, and that's Gabriel Landeskog. So obviously... He had this amazing year last year, 75 points in 73 games. That's an 84-point pace. Brian's like, he's going to do it all over again. He projected 85. To me, I kind of thought, like, you know, that was a great season for him, but he's had a long career, right? He started in 2011, 2012. Before that, he had never paced for more than 66. So I just wanted to land somewhere in the middle. And obviously, there's more nuance to, to our arguments, but I had him at 75. Brian had him at 85. Uh, So I'm still having him higher than every other season he had, but not as high as this past one in terms of his pace. Yeah, because I feel like this last season he had was the most like his rookie season that he's had since his rookie season, right? Landeskog had a fantastic start to his career, and then uh, the wheels seemed to fall off at first slowly, and then gone completely. Like, he he started his career 270 shots. Uh, He was down to 170 shots by the time he was 23, and he started as a 19-year-old, but as a 26-year-old last year, back up to 243 shots. I liked what I saw, and I think, Elon, correct me if I'm wrong, but a big part of your argument about why you expected less from Landeskog was that now uh, he's going to be maybe on the second line. The Avs want to split him up. Like I'm, I'm, I'm right about that, right? Well, there was just that thing that last year there was like for like one or two games they bumped him off the top line because they wanted to spread out their offense and it didn't work. So if they wanted yeah. to try to get next year, I think there'd be a better chance since Kadri is now a good second line center for him to play with. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, but now they don't need to do that. They they sort of needed to if they wanted to get scoring out of more than one line. But now they have Kadri there to anchor the second line uh, and a couple other capable guys to play alongside him and Donskoy and maybe Burakovsky, who I think we're going to talk about later. Uh, he's, he's one of the guys like, why are you even talking about him? But yeah, uh, Landis Cog, I see him sticking on the top line. I see him putting up uh, fantastic shot attempt rates, like the best since his rookie season. Uh, and also he made McKinnon and Rantanen better. I mean, it was a small sample size that he played away from them. So maybe it's a, it's a bit, uh, over eager of me to make that claim, but McKinnon and Rantanen both uh, had better rate stats and offensive production when they were with Landeskog than without. So, uh, so that's my pro Landeskog argument for for holding last year's production. Elon says he's going to slip. Brandon, what do you think? So I think I'm I'm going with with Elon on this one. <laughs> I think that everything I'm seeing for for Landeskog points to. So his shooting percentage was a touch high, but not enough to really spook me. And what I liked was that his on-ice uh, shooting percentage was like pretty, like a, a, something that he could reproduce. It's it's uh, at 10, 10.4%, which is a little high for his career, but obviously he's with way better line mates than he's kind of ever been with. So that said, I don't see anything that makes me think he's going to go higher. So I like him to sit at basically 75 again. I know he's at an 84 point pace, but I think I, I, I'm also, I do have a little bit of a concern that if they ever do decide to mess with that line, he's probably the odd man out. I feel like Rantanen and McKinnon are tied together at this point. They should be paired. And then if you're going to move anybody, it's whether or not you want to move Landeskog. I don't think they do necessarily. And again, here, the upside with Landeskog is there. Um, 
I'm just, I don't want to take a stab at a guy that has been worse than that for such a long period of time, even with how good that top line is. See, for me, I, I agree. I think I actually, I, I sided with Elon as well here. Uh, and I'll go into that for a second. But I think it's, it's worth touching on the line thing, because Brandon was just talking about that. And for me, I think one thing that I'm looking at is I see it more like a Boston situation. You know, in Boston, we don't really see them breaking up that Marchand, Pasta, and Bergeron line because you've got a really good second center in uh, Krejci, and that second line does really well. And I, I think that Colorado is first going to want to do that. They're going to want to keep that top line together and then get a really good second line going that could play a very different role. I mean, Kadri can play a much more um, kind of defensive role. And that's what we saw last year in deployment is you saw that Soderberg line be a much more defensive line and start get more uh, defensive zone starts and give more offensive zone starts to the McKinnon line. And I think they're going to want to try to keep that. Although, like Brandon said, if they try to change things up, the one that's the odd man out, and I think because of the way that they deploy those lines, where that second line is a little bit more defensive, Landeskog is the odd one out that could fit into that line more. Now, for me, I have it more in like, you know, yeah, that's 75 point range. Uh, one thing that, of course, scares me as well. You look at on ice shooting percentage and sure, that was fine. Uh, his own shooting percentage to me was a little bit high. I've personally regressed uh, Landis Cog back to like a 13 ish, 13.5 ish uh, percent shooting. But the thing that's more alarming somewhat on the power play is that one Colorado got the most power play opportunities in the league by quite a bit of quite a margin and of course they had a fantastic power play but it was a little bit high and then the thing that you look at it a little bit deeper and you see that mckinnon had a 44 percent better power play shot production both good and bad part of that can be just the opportunities that they got right and and that's a big question mark which could fluctuate year to year with how many power play opportunities a team actually gets uh and then you look at someone like Rontanen, whose power play shooting percentage was high at 32%. So again, you're looking like a Barkov situation, right? And that hurts Landeskog a little bit. So all in all, I see Landeskog not getting better than last year. And I do agree. I think like that 75 point range is the right number. So about this power play opportunity thing, can I just chime in? Because we were yeah. sort of like trying to tune into this. And we were like, yeah, Colorado led the league in power play opportunities. And we just don't know if it'll happen again. But I, I checked into it this offseason. And I, I feel like it's not a coincidence. Like, this is not just, like, a weird thing where Colorado is, like, randomly getting so many power play opportunities. Um, they led the league in penalties drawn. And you look at the league leaders in penalties drawn over the past two years and you see that Colorado's full of these guys who are just like experts at drawing penalties. I like to the point that I don't know that they're just getting calls. McKinnon's ranked seventh in the league in penalties drawn over the last two years. Landeskog nineteenth. Rantanen thirty fifth. Like these guys know something about getting whistles. This isn't like totally random variants. These guys, uh, or at least it doesn't seem like it is after two season. And by the way, Nazem Kadri ranks twenty mm-hmm. seventh in penalties drawn over the last couple years. So now the Abs have four players ranked in the top 35 in the league and penalties drawn since the start of 17-18. So I'm hoping that they just keep doing what they've been doing all this time, uh, keep drawing all these penalties, keep getting all these power play opportunities. Which is kind of a funny aside, is that uh, Kadri... <laughs> you talk about Toronto, like just briefly to mention Toronto. They never got calls, and now they lose their one of their guys that was the best at getting calls. And geez, <laughs> like I get, how much worse can it get? Mm. Now, one thing that's interesting—I don't remember who this was. 
I don't remember if this was Dom or Charting Hockey or who it was. Someone did this kind of exploratory thing in the middle of the season, and they kind of proofed out that usually, more more often than not, how many te- penalties a team takes is the same in power play opportunities. Like, usually refs like to even out in games. So when you look at Colorado, they both led in power play opportunities for, but they also led in power play opportunities against. Right. And the same thing for Toronto, where they took second least amount of penalties, but they also got second least in power play opportunities. And so it's a little bit of a double edged sword because if you, I don't think Colorado necessarily wants to be a very heavily penalized team in the league, yet it helps them on the power play. And so is that part of the strategy? Is it not? If they start to, in theory, if they start to become a smarter team, which they got Kadri, so they're clearly not going to be, if they uh, try to be a smarter team, <laughs> oh, then... Whoa. They just come with pitchforks. Yeah. I mean, it's, look, if Toronto fans still love Kadri that much, apologies. I, I loved Kadri as well. I mean, I get what you're saying, but like, doesn't Colorado have like one of the top power plays? So I think that why not get into like a race where just both teams will take a bunch of power plays? Because I would take the Colorado power play scoring a couple more power play goals over whoever they're playing most nights. I'm almost, I'm almost wondering if a team like chooses to twist this in their favor and is just like, okay, we're going to start at the night taking three penalties because our penalty kill is really good. And then it's going to even out for us and we're going to crush it on the power play. You, you would like them to be better than 25th worse in uh, penalty kill though yeah that's true right well now they've got grubauer (laughs) exactly if they think they can improve that then yeah keep taking penalties but if they can't and you know losing barry is probably a big uh, component of that they might want to be more uh they want to be better at not taking penalties which could hurt them on the power play opportunities but now they've got pavel francu i mean really Franku, yeah. Oh man, we were, we called it's one of the one of the few names I actually know how to say because we just get rolled about saying names wrong all the Wait, time. I thought it was... So do we? And we looked it up. Like I heard his name being pronounced Francus. Well, it's probably what? someone else that didn't know how to pronounce his name that said <laughs> it. I'm saying it wrong. Who knows? I could have forgotten by now. Our only one star review is because of pronunciation because we mispronounced Pulu Yarvi. <laughs> We've gotten that too. People love to give negative reviews. Like, forget all the great content you can give them. You mess up that one, one player's name. name. Goodbye. Well, the same guy got really mad because we recommended not picking up Tristan Jari. I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, we once got a bad review saying that we talked too much about Ryan Getzlaff and he's not fantasy relevant. And then Getzlaff went on to go on like a run of like 10 points in his next 10 games or something. It made me feel really good. But Okay, so we've got more to go. The, the big conclusion of all this fun Colorado talk is that they sided with me, Brian. So now we're uh, tied. <laughs> we're tied 1-1. Uh, the next guy I want to bring up is Nikita Gusev, and this, he's obviously very volatile. We've never seen him in the NHL, but I was higher on him than you, Brian. The thing that struck me about Gusev is last year, he led the KHL in scoring by a huge margin, 82 points in 62 games. Nigel Dawes, of all people, came second with 69 points. Gusev was also second in the KHL, scoring the year before, only behind Kovalchuk. Uh, so I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing after seeing what Kovalchuk did <laughs> this past season. But, you know, you talk about the other players who came from the KHL somewhat recently, Panarin, Dan- 
bad enough. They never even came first or second in league scoring. So it almost seems to me like Gusev might be better than these guys. Radulov led the league, so I wonder if Gusev's like at that level. So, I don't know, all that to say seems to me like maybe we're looking at like Dadunov floor in terms of skill and maybe like Panarin Radulov ceiling in terms of skill. Then you got to go into the situation. But in the end, I threw down a big number. I'm taking a swing. I threw down 76. Brian was like, hold your horses. And he went with a more conservative 62. Uh, Brian, I guess you have obvious reasons for doing that, but you could defend it quickly. And then I have a feeling I'm going to lose this one, but it's just a swing I wanted to take. (laughs) This is is some insight. If those of you have already listened, who've already listened to the fantasy hockey podcast episode we did with them, uh, you'll, this, this is already spoiled for you. Um, But yeah, Nikita Gusev, very quickly, Elon, you like him for Dadanov's production in the NHL because he matched him in the cage or did better than him in the KHL. Dadanov had Huberdeau and Barkov coming over. Gusev does not have Huberdeau and Barkov coming over. And I think it's as simple as that. Also, if I really wanted to like split hairs and get a little like over analytic about it, I'd say that Dadanov had some very limited NHL experience, right? Before, like he, he was in the NHL. He left. He went to like just for a brief time. He left, went to the KHL, came back. Gusev has never been in, in the NHL before. So, uh, you know, maybe he's missing out on a little of the, the day-to-day NHL things that he needs to adjust to. Uh, that's a really dumb over-analytic thing, though, I think. Uh, <laughs> mostly, Gusev is not going to get Huberto and Barkov in New Jersey. He'll get someone good at center, uh, but not sure if he'll get someone good at right wing. And neither guy will be as good as Huberto and Barkov. I mean, yeah, so I guess we're going to send it off <laughs> yeah. to the... I should ask Gamby now. <laughs> Gamby, oh, what do you think? I'm excited about this one. I've got to take the 60 points. That's kind of where I have him at. And it's, and you're actually one really interesting bit. Um, I just looked up Dadnov because I, I completely forgot that Dadnov had actually had a little bit of NHL experience, which you're totally right about, but he did have 36 games and shot at 13.3%, uh, in the NHL before going back. And now he's shooting, you know, 14%. So it, it is actually interesting that that kind of translated pretty well from that prior NHL experience to what he's doing now. Anyways, back to Gusev. I have him at around 60. I do like the comparison to Dadanov. I think that's his comparable as opposed to a Radulov or a Panarin. I think he's more of a Dadanov type. But the problem is I see him locked on that second line. Uh, and he's going to have one of Heeshear or Hughes. I actually prefer Hughes on his line, to be honest. Because I think if Hughes is on his line, it'll be a much more offensively driven line. Because I don't think with Hughes, at least in the first half of the season, he, they're going to give him uh, tough minutes. I think he's going to have an off, a sheltered offensive role. And I think that would translate to Gusev, and that would be the best thing for him. But I do expect top power play. But the issue is that I don't, we don't know what his role is going to be on that power play. Of course, they have Simmons, um, who... I don't know where you guys stand on Simmons. I still don't know exactly what to think of him from a top power play or second power play perspective. But it seems like if they want to move Palmieri outside of being a kind of net front presence, Gusev makes the most sense to be uh, more of a net front presence for them there. And so I could see him getting more of a cadre effect uh, where he plays well in the power play, clearly has some effect on it and makes it better but the points don't really seem to go through him on the power play uh, and that's kind of where i see him and i think the minutes are going to be different like you said dadnov um, immediately got thrown in with barkov and he got 18 minutes a game immediately i don't see uh gusev immediately getting 18 minutes a game i think he's going to be more of a you know 15 16 minute guy uh but yeah i think the 60 point range feels a lot safer with him but a lot of upside and, and let's say he does get top line i could totally see him getting 75 yeah, this is this is one of those players that if you ask me the same question October 2nd, my answer could very well be different. 
But as it stands right now, I'm also going to take the conservative approach. Uh, actually, I, I called him for 61 in ours, so I was pretty much right on Brian here. Um, but there's there's a lot of variance that can happen with him, right? We already talked about who's his left wing or his right wing going to be. Who's his center going to be, right? It could be Heeshear. It could be Hughes. We don't know. Who is he going to be on top power play? There's a there's an argument that he's not. Like who do we know that that will be locks on top power play? He has to be the only locks on top power play are Subban and Hall. Beyond that, it could be Hughes and Heeshear. It could be both. Could be Paul Mary. Could be Simmons. Maybe could be Gusev. Probably not Brat. <laughs> but so you, you have a, a few options. That, that can take that top power play spot. And I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Gusev is one of them. If Gusev is not one of them, that's a major hit because uh, Jersey is not one of these teams that's going to run a 50-50, 1A, 1B type power play, even if they have Jack Hughes and Gusev on the second power play. They're still going to want to have, okay, we want to have Hall going because Hall scores goals and we need goals. And, you know, so having a top power play of something like a top line of Hughes, or not Hughes, uh, Heeshear, Hall, and Paul Mary, and then maybe a net front presence of Simmons, and then Subban. It's a possibility. I don't. I don't think they'll go that way, but I could see it. And if they do that, that means they can give Hughes and Gusev some more chemistry time if they're trying to keep them together as a unit, both at even strength and on the power play. And that would give them reduced minutes on a second power play, which is not very good. They still, you know, they're still going to get some power play points, but you're talking, you know, definitely below twenty. And at that point, you're really. Uh, clipping into what could be a ceiling for him. Now, if we if we walk through all preseason, we see Gusev locked into you know uh, playing with Hughes and Palmieri or something, and things are looking great, and he's doing really well in preseason. He's got top power play the whole time. Then you know I could see him going above seventy, but as it stands right now, I'm assuming I, I just want to play more conservatively, basically. Yeah, that's fair. And probably it doesn't matter that much. I think even if you think of him as like a 60 plus guy, you might still be able to get him in your draft just because he's falling pretty low because a lot of people don't know who he is. Obviously, it depends who you're drafting for. I just actually did a draft in a keeper league and it was a keep 12. I just took over this team. So I've never played in this league before. Keep 12. Then I still waited till round seven and was able to get Gusev. I probably like I'm even embarrassed to say because nice. I, I waited so long. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, I just had a feeling that no one was going to take him and, and I was right. And I got him super late. So I guess we'll see. I think that uh, I'm happy to take the L here you guys could side with brian it'll just make me look better when i'm uh, right at the end i guess to me i just kind of feel like you know we doubted panarin when he came to the nhl then we doubted him again when he went to columbus and we're like oh who's he gonna-? he's not playing with patrick kane anymore so he's probably not gonna be able to do as well he did even better now you know we have gusev coming and like imagine if it was panarin going to new jersey we wouldn't be saying like yeah. oh i don't know if he's gonna get on the second power player you know we'd be like he's, he's gonna obviously earn the good deployments that's what i'm banking on but also like i don't know anything about this guy i just i'm just looking at his numbers it's just they're jumping out at me as being amazing and then obviously I've, I've read lots of stuff about him and people saying he's really good but you're, you guys are probably right you're probably doing the smart thing <laughs> the thing with Panarin too is he's also very similar to Dadnov when he came over and he also got you know 18 and a half minutes immediately as soon as he jumped into the NHL he also shot at 16% that first season so he's very similar into kind of what happened as soon as he came over to Dadnov where great deployment great line mates high shooting percentage did everything that he's supposed to do which I just I think that's where I differ on Gusev is just if he had I think if he had that top line spot locked in um, was going to be playing with Hall had kind of I guess the center doesn't really matter because he's going to get one of Hughes or he anyways but if that deployment was almost as guaranteed as it was for Dadanov or uh, Panarin I wouldn't doubt him at all but it's just that deployment that really makes me question things yeah that's fair hey, remember when Chicago traded Panarin for Brandon Saad <laughs> one for one 
Terrible. Oh, that happened. <laughs> talk about doubting him. Jeez. Yeah, well, actually, that's the next part I want to bring up. Brandon Saad. I haven't. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to talk about Brandon <laughs> oh, Saad. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> my heart 86 dropped. points. <laughs> all right. So next, uh, so it seems like so far three players in, you guys have sided always with the conservative one, and I'm the conservative one Might next. be a theme. <laughs> so now I'm, I'm feeling good about this. Let's talk now about Nino Niederreiter. Uh, obviously a great year last year. Like overall, whatever, like around 57 points, but he had that great surge at the end after he got traded to Carolina and was playing with Ajo. Uh, and now we go into next season. Brian is uh, super high on him. Brian projected him all the way up and get this, 68 points. Wow. I, I went, uh, I, I thought I was being generous. I gave him 58, which is still would be a career high for him. Uh, I don't think there's as much of a guarantee that he holds top deployment all season as I think Brian does. So Brian, I guess you could defend your uh, projection here before I take my easy win. <laughs> okay. My reason for believing in Nino Niederreiter is because we saw what happened when a team believed in him. Niederreiter was treated like a top six player for the first time ever in what's already been a seven-year career, which is crazy to think it was that long ago. He was uh, floundering uh, on uh, the Islanders. Uh, But yeah, finally treated like a top six, crushed it, and he wasn't riding coattails either he was doing the work himself uh he increased his shot attempt output by about 40 percent he had a low shooting percentage that rebounded so did his ipp so his variance markers improved he was more threatening in his shot selection and like it's not that surprising to say okay a guy goes from minnesota to carolina plays two and a half more minutes per game at five on five uh goes from third line to first line deployment goes from a revolving door of line mates to playing with sebastian ajo and justin williams and i think he's going to play with sebastian ajo again so i like everything i saw from nita rider last season and i'm just expecting a continuation of it all right so where do you guys stand the thing with nino nita rider is uh i'm gonna go ahead and say i'm conservative again I'm I'm siding with Alon at 58 here. I think that's actually the same number I called him for, if I remember right. But the reason is, is it's less to do with Niederreiter and more to do with what I think is going to happen on that top line. Um, I think Turbo is a pretty decent bet, uh, Teravainen, to be um to be top right wing, which leaves top left wing. And what I think is going to happen there is it's going to be Svechnikov's. Um, and the reason I think that is because I don't think you can play Svechnikov with Jordan Stahl. It's just not a match. Stahl is a really, um, not entirely defensive oriented, but he's not the most offensive player either. He's a very, um, uh, responsible player. That's the word I'm looking for. And that sure. makes a responsible line. And you don't want Svechnikov on a responsible line. However, Niederreiter fits that pretty well. He can add offense to a responsible line while also being responsible himself. Svechnikov, if you want to really light him up. He needs to be in a position to play with the most offensive guys in on the team or third line him again, which is, you know, that's what they did last season, you know, giving him crap minutes and kind of holding him back. I think that's going to end the season. I think we're going to see him get his top line time. If he is able to pull it out and, you know, be mini OV like he wants to be awesome. But I think top line is going to be his to lose. And that's going to be the detriment of Nieder, of Niederreiter. And if he, if Niederreiter plays any extended time with stall, I think we're going to see a dip in, in points. And, that, and that's just ignoring completely anything that could happen on the power play. I think he might still wind up being top power play. Probably, especially with Justin Williams gone. I don't think they're going to put stall top power play again because they just don't need to anymore. So that's good. But um, yeah, I, I, I really am worried about what, what happens to that second line. Yeah, Brandon and I are in agreement on this. Uh, we talked about mm-hmm. this a lot because, you know, Zvechnikov is 
the sleeper that's not a sleeper this year. Everyone in any banger league is eyeing Andrei Svechnikov this year. And so there's a big question mark of what happens. And, and I think Svechnikov deserves top line. But I also think that Nino des- earned it last year towards the end. I think all of it comes down to training camp. It's again a Nikita Gusev situation where we it, it all depends on deployment. When you look at the deployment for last year, when Nino came over... He was getting 62.6% offensive zone starts. Now, to me, if I'm Carolina, I'd rather give those offensive zone starts to someone like Svechnikov, who was a fantastic uh, player last year, drove play really well. But so did Nino Niederreiter. And so it's tough because they both deserve it, in essence, and they both can do it. And so I think it'll be a little bit of a revolving door, even, where you can kind of move them in or out you can play Svechnikov there you can play Nino there they have options and that's a good thing for Carolina and I think that they'll exercise those options so I take the under on Nino I I have him more like 54 just because I do think that Svechnikov will get that top line but if if Nino Niederreiter does get that top line deployment consistently I could see him just crushing his career totals in the past yeah, I mean, there also add one more thing to this. There also is the possibility that Turbo doesn't get top right wing because yeah. both Niederreiter and Svechnikov are can play left or right. So we could see uh, Turbo get moved down with Stahl, which boy would that suck if you have Turbo in like a dynasty league because he's not doing much if he's not getting your points. So um, it's a possibility as well. I feel like Turbo and and Aho as a pair are a little bit more locked up than I think anybody else is at this point, but. You never really know until we go through preseason, I feel like. Okay, so uh, so am I right to interpret like this siding with Elon being you guys just believe that Niederreiter is not going to play with Aho, and I believe he will, right? Like that that's the three-on-one yes. yeah. difference? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And it's, it's like a whole season thing. I don't think he'll play with Aho the entire season. He might for stretches i just don't think he's gonna get 82 top line games yeah that's what i would say also i think that they might bounce around a little bit i did hear something i think it was cam robinson who was saying that that carolina is excited about maybe trying out like martin nichas with svechnikov on the second line i'm not sure what that would do to jordan stall but like there are some really? other combinations that could happen but maybe that's more of a, like a two years down if the road. jordan stall gets moved off the second line i will be very surprised he is again like he plays like a third line role almost, but he plays so many minutes that you can't call it a third line. Yeah. Yeah. So I could see it being like a top nine where Jordan Stahl is, he should like, there were, there was a time where he was their first line center. Like he was the only guy who could produce any kind of offense. And now that they have Aho at center, he's a second line center, but like still shouldn't really necessarily be in a scoring role. Like that's not what they want him to do. Although he's able to, to do double duty defensively and offensively to some extent, but I think ideally they're not like they, they get their offense from other guys and they just leave the shut downing to Jordan Stahl. Yeah. It's interesting that you brought up Martin Nakash because they could, you know, run two top line, uh, two like offensive top lines. So the, the first and second line are very offensive. And you have that Jordan Stahl line on the third that's super defensive. And you could even limit uh, Stahl's minutes even a little bit more. I mean, last year he still, and I think this a lot of it honestly has to do with just Carolina was so good uh, from a Corsi perspective and everything. It, even Jordan Stahl's offensive zone starts were 50.5%, which is insane given how defensively he plays. Um, and so I think that if you could reduce those even more, put him into even tougher situations, uh, and that would be actually a pretty interesting second line. But if they were to do that, if they were to bring up Nakash and put him on the second line, I would think that favors the idea of putting Svech on the top line even more because I don't think they'd want to put two rookies on that same line. 
I feel like we could, uh, great points. Like, I, I hear you. I'm just a little sidetracked here. I feel like we could have an episode where we debate, uh, where we judge each other's name pronunciations to yes. also, to also <laughs> see. We, we have a Czech listener. He says, we, he says it's Nietzsche's. And so we're going with that, although I haven't heard a play by play announcer say his name. Fun fact, we can at least all agree that Nietzsche's or Nekash's, whatever you want to call them, his name anagrams to Kane's. Oh, oh, so cool! <laughs> there you, you can't go. Agree on that. <laughs> We'd also just call him Martin. <laughs> yeah, just say Marty. Yes. Marty. Marty N. That so. makes me think of Broder. As a fa- as a Rangers fan, I don't like that very it much. Sure does. <laughs> as a St. Louis Blues fan, it makes me think of Martin Broder. <laughs> I feel like the jerk on the call that like we're having so much fun, and I'm like, okay, guys, come on, let's go to the next player here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I wanted to go next to uh, a couple defensemen, and I want to start. Actually, we already talked about Nazem Kadri, so let's talk about the guy who he was traded for because he's someone oh, that boy. Brian and I disagreed about in Tyson Barry going to the Leafs. I had him at sixty. Brian was dropping him down to fifty. So this is actually one of the ones where I'm not. I'm actually very curious to know. I feel like with the other ones, I had a hunch as to where you guys would side, and this one I could see it going either way. Uh, my argument is like I feel like Barry's just like a really great offensive defenseman. Before last season, I don't think it would have been crazy to say he's like better than Morgan Riley you know like Morgan Riley had that great season last year but going into last season I think most people would have rather had Tyson Barry if you just said who's like the likely defenseman to get more points now they're both on the Leafs but like Riley had 72 points last season and only 21 power play points so it's like not nothing but also it's not as if he like got so many points so like, I just feel like if Riley could get 72 points I don't see why Barry can't hit 60 like even if he doesn't play on the top power play I'm, I'm sure he'd still get like at least like 10-15 power play points and that's not too even far off than how many Riley got last year. So that's like my general idea. Like, it's just hard for me. I know Brian's going to make some really good points because I already heard them in the Almanac. But like, to me, it's just really hard to say to see Tyson Berry fall so much on such a great offensive team. We're still on a great offensive team. And here's, but I'm more conservative on Barry than you are, Elon. And that's because nearly half of his production from the last two years has come on the power play. And he got that by being the guy on the top power play and seeing a ton of ice, uh, ice time amounts that nobody on Toronto has ever seen on the power play and shout out shout out by the way to average time on ice is Ben who uh, has a great article that he shared I, I don't know if it's published anywhere yet but he he wrote a he wrote why he's also conservative on Tyson Barry's production one of the reasons is because nobody in Toronto under Mike Babcock gets the kind of ice time that Tyson Barry got in Colorado uh, even when Morgan Riley was the guy last year. He still didn't like. He still felt like a minute short per game in terms of power play time compared to uh, what Tyson Berry got uh, as an Avalanche. And also keep in mind, uh, Toronto doesn't draw as many penalties, especially losing Kadri to the I Avalanche. Sure so, uh, so I am not at all expecting sixty points from Barry this season. Yeah. He can do it when he's the guy. Uh, I think he might be guy B in Toronto, and that's the best case scenario because I think Morgan Riley uh, does not lose his position as incumbent uh, power play one quarterback. Yeah, Brian, I'll just say before we send it off, like I obviously a part of my argument is saying that I think Barry gets more even strength points. I'm more saying I think that Barry could do something similar to what Riley did last year at even strength. But okay, sure, but he relies so much on his power play points. Even more even strength points won't get him to sixty IMO. But let's hear. What the fantasy hockey podcast guys have to say. Who wants to start this one? I'll take this. I've had many a thing to say about Tyson Berry. So my one take on Tyson Berry is I think he's going... I'm going to take the under on this. And before I... I'm going to... 
my under is far under than your under, so I'll get there. My take on Mine's Tyson not so bad. <laughs> yeah, yours is yours is a little bit more similar. Uh, my take on Tyson Berry is he's a player to me who just I don't see anywhere that he's going to shine. I think it's Riley's to lose both at five on five and on the power play. I just I get that yes, you know Tyson Berry is probably maybe a better power play QB but I don't think you can take what Riley did last year and then be like okay you know what we're actually going to take the power play from you or we're going to take you know five on five minutes from you Uh, I think it's his really to lose I don't see them pairing up uh, Riley and Tyson Berry I think Tyson Berry gets the second uh, pairing deployment and because of that I put Riley uh, Tyson Berry more in like 45 (laughs) which I know is insanely low um last year when you look at a guy like Gardner who was the second power play he got five power play points granted he didn't play the whole season but that's still what a on pace for maybe eight and Toronto doesn't get a lot of power play opportunities they do not split that power play evenly and I don't see them splitting it evenly this year I just don't really see how Tyson Berry overproduces this year um it just doesn't really make sense to me. To me, Tyson Berry is a guy who people are... I think he's going too high. That's another reason why I won't touch him this year. Uh, in every yeah. mock draft, he's gone way too high than I think he should be going. Uh, and, and aside from you know, aside from my low 45-point kind of prediction, aside from that, I still think he's going too high. And, and I think that the reason is because he's on Toronto, and I'm sorry, Toronto fans, but people like touching nice things. And Tyson Berry is one of those instances where people I hate just that kind you of say it this way. I, I, I know you do. It's, it's a weird <laughs> way to say it. But at the end of the day, my our, our big one big thing that I always mention on, the, on our show is people like to have players from good teams on their teams, and so people like to have Toronto players, and that always increases their ADP a little bit. And in Tyson Berry's case, the fact that I mean, I've seen some mocks where he goes above Morgan Riley, and to me, that is absolutely insane. Um, yeah, I just, I just don't see it. I, and I don't, I haven't seen, I haven't read anything this year that makes me lean or think that he may take time from Riley. Um, I, I think really the, the reason they made the trade is to have a great second pairing defenseman and now you have two really good pairings. But to me, it's not a, hey, we just got a guy better than Morgan Riley. I think it's more of just, we just got way deeper. Okay. So I would be, I'm closer to the 50 point thing, but I, I will start by saying, can you name me a defenseman last season that was not on top power play that broke 45 points. Hmm. I'm there might be one. I guess like Truba wasn't on the top power play the whole year. Yeah, he played it though. Yeah. Okay. He played it when Buffalo was hurt. Is the answer that there I isn't think, one? I don't I, honestly don't. I didn't look it up. Ryan Ellis had 41. Hamilton had 39 there in the ballpark. But um, there may have been one. I actually don't think there was, to be honest. Um, I'm going to try and find one while you're talking. But I, I agree. Like, oh. it's, not a, it's not a common thing. And somebody who at least, like, someone who did that at least got a turn on the top power play, right? You Nobody think. really does it unless you're Dougie Hamilton from the second power play all season long. Actually, let me throw out a, a pair at you that maybe we could compare. Because everyone's talking about how, like, oh, Barry coming, like, it's bad. Like, he's against Morgan Riley almost, you know. But you look at Minnesota. First of all, Ryan Suter was doing a lot better when Dumba was around. And then Suter slowed down once he was no longer playing with Dumba. And I know it's not the same because they're not going to play with each other. But maybe another comparable, San Jose. Like, Carlson and Burns didn't play on the same line together. And they often didn't play on the same power play and it was usually just one of them would sort of go on while the other one went off on the power play while the forwards you know i feel like they were almost like separate units than the forwards so maybe that's like a comparable or a case where they could both do really well and doesn't have to be one versus the other carlson burns are like freaks of nature though yeah 
And I think for a long time they were double shifting Burns on the top power play, if I remember yeah. right. Like they, they both played together occasionally and apart occasionally. So maybe Toronto could do the same thing. Maybe. So th- th- there's, I think there's two avenues for Barry to hit your 60-point number. One is he steals the top power play due to injury or due to whatever, Riley struggles or something. Or they decide they want Barry's cannon on the top power play. The other option is they do pair them up. I don't see that happening. It's becoming less and less of a thing that teams do. We figured that the last couple ones that have, that have done it are, you know, like Nashville. I don't see them doing it again after getting rid of, of, of Subin. And then there's, there might be like one or two other teams that do it, but it's very uncommon now. I, I guess San Jose, when they occasionally do put uh, Carlson and Burns together. But again, Burns is half forward, so who doesn't count as anything? Um, but if they did that, and obviously there is sort of an angle at that top power play because of of Kadri's uh, you know, disappearing act, the fact that Barry's there to begin with. I don't think they pair him because, I mean, it would be nice to have Barry. It would be nice to have somebody good on the second power play to, to, to quarterback it when you need them out there. So I don't think they're going to pair him together. I think more likely somebody like Jonsson, uh, Jonsson gets it, but or Kapanen or something. Who knows? Um, but it's a possibility. And that's kind of the only way I could see him getting there. I'm cl- I, I think, yeah, some, something right around 50 is what I think, because I do think, despite him not being on a top power play, he has the capabilities to get to 50 points anyway. I think he's going to be one of maybe the only defenseman to do it next season. But uh, yeah, so that, that's kind of my take. It, there's a way for him to get higher. I, I'm reserved to actually say it'll happen i have one last thing to add here and that uh, two things actually one is that morgan riley last year got 64 percent offensive zone starts that's insane and i don't see them doing that with two pairings maybe riley's come down a little bit but it worked so well last year i just don't see them not doing that the other thing that makes me a little bit that makes me very cautious with uh with tyson barry is who's going to pair with him if it's not muzzin they could, uh, pair, well, they could pair Barry and Riley, right? Uh, no, 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 but Riley's I'm saying left. like, okay, so if you put Muzzin, let's say you put Muzzin with Barry, that's fine. Uh, I think then you're definitely looking at more of a, an even deployment as opposed to more offensive. But let's say it's not Muzzin. Let's say they give Muzzin to Morgan Riley. Then his options are like Travis Dermott or CeCe. I would be very Harpoor. surprised if they play Muzzin on the right this season. I think they're playing him left. But um, uh, I mean, they could, uh, my point but. is just that like if he doesn't get Muzzin, his five-on-five pair is going to be awful. Yeah. I think he gets Riley. I think it's Riley and Barry as, a, as an even-strength pair, oh. and then you could have the offensive de- deployment continue. That is that is your worst take in a long time. <laughs> I, I'm going to agree <laughs> with uh, with Gamby on that one. I, I, don't, I don't see take. that happening. So so last year, uh, Jake Muzzin and Morgan Riley played six... Uh, I'm trying to figure out how often they played um, last year together. Because if I remember correctly, I think Morgan Riley t- played with Jake Muzzin almost all the time last year once they acquired Jake Muzzin, if I remember correctly. Uh, I can tell you, and it looks like he played with Morgan Riley for like five games, and it was Nikita Zaitsev the rest of the Interesting. way. Interesting. Yikes. So that yeah. makes me lean even less against Tyson <laughs> Berry, because Zaitsev is so defensive, so I don't think it makes sense that they're going to put two offensive guys on the top pairing. Listen, guys, it, we already know the answer because I looked at Roto World today and they're quoting a Toronto Star article and it, and it says that Cody Cece's going to play with Morgan Riley and Jake Muzzin's going to play with Tyson Berry. So it's already, the Toronto Star there you says go. so. And, and I think who do you want yeah. on your top, like, I don't think you want Cody Cece on your top pair. It's probably going to be two equal top pairs, the same way they could run two equal power play units. Yeah, I do think deployment will be different though. Yeah, probably. 
Or Jake Gardner is going to get re-signed like before the end of before the season begins, right? I hope they need it. You'd think. What is even happening? Nobody knows. We got to figure Thanks, out. Thanks, Marner. Marner. Uh, okay, so we got another defense here. So I, I'm taking the loss here, which is fair, but I don't know. I still think he can do it. I, I like Tyson <laughs> Berry, uh, even though all your reasons make a lot of sense. So I get why you're going with Brian there. Here's another defense. Classic defen- Elon. What's that, Brian? You've all said your. You've all said classic Elon. You've all said your piece. Uh, it's all really convincing. I'm still going to stay with my uh, point. Yeah, I think you guys are wrong, but I I, I understand. <laughs> I still think everyone's wrong. Yeah. but me. If they pair Barry. And Riley together for a single game. I'm coming to all your houses and knocking them down. <laughs> <laughs> Just Elon's. No, I didn't say they'll play together. All right. So let's go to Darnell Nurse, another defenseman that Brian and I disagreed about. This is, again, an opposite. Le- oh, no, this is another one where I was higher than Brian on. So last year, Nurse had 41 points. And it really was like a tale of two seasons. Like Nurse was sort of nothing at the start of the year. And then probably around the time that like Clefbaum got injured, as he always does every year, Nurse actually really upped his game and had 35 points in his final 62 games for a 46-point pace for like a big chunk of the season. And so I don't know if he's going to get all the way back up to 46, but I put him down at 43. And Brian is like, nah, not going to happen. And he has him falling from his 41 overall down to 35. And uh, yeah, I know why, because Brian is absolutely in love with Oscar Clefbaum. And he still believes yeah. that Clefbaum is the man. Why are you? T- I'm right here. I like I can state my own case, which is essentially what you just said. Like it's very simple. You think Darnell Nurse is the top power play guy in Edmonton? I think it's Oscar Clefbaum. That's the difference. By the way, even if it is Nurse on the top power play, didn't love like he had a good run on the power play, but six of his nine points there were secondaries, which uh, you know, sometimes like fine, maybe sustainable, we haven't seen enough to see, but also could be kind of noisy. Like, not, not not something you could rely on. So, uh, Gamby and Brandon, I think the simple question here is, uh, who's going to be the power play quarterback? In oh, Edmonton? Gamby's going to have Joel a take on Parrison. this. Joel <laughs> <laughs> I really don't think it's going to be either. Who, Nurse or Clefbaum? <laughs> so, if it's not Nurse, then I'm right. I have the field here. I still actually have Nurse at 40, even as not top power play. Yes, you're closer to me. Great. Yeah, yeah. I have him oh, at 46. I have him at 36. I, I, I oh, we so we, we're, we're different on this one. We don't agree. Elon, you have him at 43. I have him at 35. I feel like 40 isn't closer to you. Uh, well, then you need to go back to school, Brian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> My exact is 41. So I will side with Elon. <laughs> Looks like we've got a tie here. Yeah, obviously, who knows with Edmonton? There's even other options, right? Like they could also. Bouchard yeah. is an option for sure. Yeah, uh, someone Barrow. actually had a uh, in our Discord. Someone, Barrow, yeah, I forgot about him. Someone shared a. Um, someone said that on some radio show. I, I, they live in Edmonton. They were listening to the radio. I, I don't know exactly what it was, but they were pretty much saying that um, they were interviewing. Who is Edmonton's coach again? Uh, Dave Tippett. Okay, yes, Tippett. There you go. Apparently, they interviewed Tippett, and he like completely gushed about Pearson. Um, and I like the fact that he's on a one-way, one-year deal. Um, he's an offensive defenseman. So in my eyes, I, and they want, uh, apparently in the interview, Tippett was very clear that he wants this year a very clear offensive power play QB. Like he wants him to be a surefire power play QB. And to me, Clefbaum, Nurse have had their chances. They didn't really show it. Um, and so I think Pearson at least gets a look to start this. I think to start the season, it'll be Pearson. And then I think after that, I think Nurse would actually get the top power play over Clefbaum. 
Clef Bomb pisses me off. We've we've put so much faith. <laughs> we've for so many like for two seasons we were like Clef Bomb's the guy, pick him up, and every single time let us down. So you know what? He's just I have an irrational uh, anger towards Clef Bomb. I think it's kind of rational at this point. <laughs> well, also even if he is doing well, there's a good chance he just gets injured. So you have to, that you too. Have, he has two things he has to overcome. Yeah. So you like Parison? I mean, last year also going into the season, uh, they were saying that Ty Ratty was going to be on the top line, and we know how that worked out. But yeah, who knows? Yeah. Edmonton's such a if there's any Edmonton fans out there, like we'll have we'll have fun. It'll be a fun year. Yes. You guys have cool yes. centers. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. Corey Pronman actually had really good things to say about Parison as well, and kind of praised his uh, from the Athletic. Also praised kind of his offensive abilities. So I feel good about Parison at least getting a shot. Um, this is this year's we'll Pionk see. for you, man. You're just you ready for Parison to get. I that was top right power for Pionk for half a season. <laughs> Yeah. Didn't you call him for like 40 assists or something? Shh, that's like not absolutely insane. Shh. But I did I did get it right when it mattered, and that's what matters. You had the per game pace going for a while. I was sweating a bit. I think that um, you could get Pearson uh, in your last round of your league or even as a free agent and give him a try and see what happens. Like, clearly, you have, if you have a quote from the coach, I like that a lot better than all the speculation that we've been doing with some of these other guys at like Carolina. We're like, you know, at least you've got a quote to help you uh, go with your prediction. Yep. Okay, so next up, now we... Okay, finally a guy that like Brian's higher on, because it's harder to defend, I think, these high numbers. Th- this one was a tie, by the way, so very interesting. Let's see if you guys will uh, side with one of Brian or I here with Jeff Carter, who totally fell off last year, down to 33 points in 76 games. He was playing with, you know, not the best line mates, unless you still believe in Tyler Toffoli. Can't imagine that's going to change. Next year, he's going to be 35. Of course, before last season, he was a pretty solid bet for at least like a 60-point pace year in, year out. He's been having some injury troubles, Maybe he's recovered from that. Anyway, Brian obviously believes in him a lot more because he went 59. And I, I gave him 50, which makes him like barely, barely fantasy relevant and better than he did last year, but nowhere near where Brian went. 59, uh, in retrospect, looks pretty high. I've, I've got a pretty decent chance of revising that to a 55 before the season starts. Like, I think 59 is probably Carter's upside, and I shouldn't be so optimistic that he's going to reach it. I am optimistic that he can bounce back though. Like he had an awful season in every way last year. It was his own playing like somewhat, but I think more so it was the team around him and his variance markers were all low His five on five on a shooting percentage, his own five on five shooting percentage is IPP. They screamed unlucky in 1819. He was also stuck playing with like Brendan Leipzig and Kyle Clifford and Trevor Lewis a lot as the third player to play with him into Foley and Foley isn't that great to start with. And I guess that's not all that likely to change. So you know what, Elon, I'm going to go into our uh, projections right now. And uh, this will be the first change in our change log, which uh, doesn't, or I'll need to find it. Maybe you'll need to help me do this, but I got to take <laughs> Jeff Carter down to 55 because 59 is just me like, I think Jeff Carter can still be really good. I think he might be a great late round bargain, although a lot of people like to use young players instead of old players for that. Uh, but I don't think Jeff Carter is done just yet. All right. So it's still a disagreement, 50 versus 55. So we can still get the experts here to come in and take a side. <laughs> this oh is going to be a whole podcast uh, disagreement. <laughs> Brandon and I both have him under 50. Ah, yeah. ah, I have him on. I have him at forty three. Yeah, I was gonna say something like forty five. I, man, even if he was, a few, if we rolled him back a few years, I'm just worried about it. Like, who is gonna play with him? Like, even. Yeah, it's true. Like, I, I honestly don't. I can't even think of a wing. Like, maybe he gets Toffoli or something if they keep Ifalo yeah. top line with Dustin Brown. He might get Kovalchuk. Eh, I don't know. 
Kovalchuk, by the way, such a good start to last season. Everyone forgets. He was like point per game yeah. for the yeah. first few weeks and yeah, then he just was. completely disappeared. He got Willie Deed. Yeah. That, that didn't help anybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are not uh, fans of Willie D. No, he's not a fan of the game, apparently. He's like, I'm going to take this team and destroy it. And then he did. It was cool. How, how do we tank as much as possible? And then they got uh, they got karma back for hiring Willie D by uh, losing the lottery. But for me, I think the thing is, uh, one thing that for me, Carter, kind of you know, scares me quite a bit, is that if you roll back the years, where did a lot of points come from? And the answer is, you know, largely goals. He was a goal scorer. And his shots have gone down a lot. And I don't see his shots really coming back this year. Uh, and on top of that, of course, I, I would assume he probably misses games this year. Um, I think his age is finally catching up to him. And, and I think to Brandon's point as well, that the line mate thing is a big deal. And I actually have his assist kind of coming up a little bit to like around 24-ish. It's really just the shot production that keeps him down. Is Unless that shot production goes back up, it's tough to find points. Brian, are you convinced? Um, yeah. Like, I, I'm not convinced to go sub-50, because I think, like, there's going to be some scoring happening on L.A., and I also am sensitive to the shot thing. Uh, he's been a really reliable shot-getter, and that fell off last year. But L.A. just could, like, could not even move the puck out of their own zone last year. They really suffered, and Willie Desjardins seemed to be, from, you know, media reports, I wasn't in the room, but seemed to be one of the, the real reasons that that whole team was in disarray and had no system. So I'm hoping that enough of a system is restored. That maybe Jeff Carter, yeah, he's getting older. He might not get all the way back to his previous shot totals. However, uh, I still think he, he could still pull him back up. Like, the drop I saw last year was not the drop of somebody who's just, like, too old now. Like, it was too big. We don't see guys fall off a cliff, and Jeff Carter is a pretty decent hockey player, so I also don't see him the the type to fall completely off a cliff either. So uh, okay. I, I'm moving him down. I'm moving him down to 54. Okay, I'm going to move him <laughs> down also. I want to be farther away than you, Brian. But it looks like, <laughs> anyways. So uh, Gamby and Brandon though do take my side because they're sub 50. So uh, I'll yes. count that as a win, even though they're actually thinking we're just both wrong. But uh, you'll I'll, you'll agree with me later because I'm going to change my prediction. I probably what happened is Brian probably said 59, and I was like, oh man, well okay, I disagree, <laughs> but I don't want to go so far away. So that's probably why I landed at 50. <laughs> Uh, let's do another center now that we disagreed on, and this is another one that Brian was higher than me. Uh, Kevin Hayes, who's going to the Flyers, he had a great year last year, paced for 64 points. A lot of that came on the Rangers. He didn't do so much when he got to Winnipeg. Uh, now he goes to Philly. Uh, if you look at his, the rest of his career, the best he's ever had is a 53-point pace. So last year was really like an outlier for him. And in Philly, he'll probably be the second-line center. I feel like he has no chance at the top power play. I think there's like four forwards that are clearly going to be there instead of him. So I put him down at like 57 points, which would be still his second-best year, but not as good as last year when the Rangers were like, giving him great opportunities to try to maximize his trade value. Brian's higher. Brian's way at 65. So I have 57. Brian is 65. So Brian, give your defense before I take the win here. <laughs> okay. Well, this is like a Nino Niederreiter situation. Uh, Kevin Hayes has never been deployed the way he was deployed last year. Like, yeah, he's 27 years old. Uh, he'd never broken 50 points before last season. But 
he never seen this many minutes, this strong uh, of a pair of line mates, more power play time. And he, by the way, didn't even use that power play time well. Uh, he only had 11 power play points in his 64-point pace. Uh, so that, that's promising, right? Because that's like second power play production, which is about as high as we can expect from him in Philly. Um and so the, this is why I'm big on Kevin Hayes. I think he's about to get deployed exactly the same way this year as he was last. I think he's shown he's had the skill all along. And now that the minutes are here, he's going to be able to take advantage. And in Philly, Kevin Hayes is about to have the best line mates of his career, even if he just gets one of Voracek and James Van Riemsdyk. And speaking of Voracek, Kevin Hayes has pretty similar five-on-five production over the last couple of years in his rate stats, like per 60, compared to Jacob Voracek. I think I said that right. Hayes and Voracek, similar five-on-five points per 60. Um, so you just take away the power play points, and that leaves you with still a nice hefty point total for Kevin Hayes as a Philadelphia Flyer. Gamby, what do you think? So as a Ranger fan... Hayes is so vanilla. We, we call players who are just kind of like, Brandon, do you want to explain a vanilla player? Yeah, they're uh, typically low peripherals. Just you get points like a Backstrom. Like you get points out of them and then you're just like, but everything else is just boring. You're just like, all right. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ke- so Kevin Hayes to me is like, a se- he's going to, like you said, second line, second power play, awful peripherals. I have him like 55 points. Um, I think I agree with the idea of like his deployment has never been that great. I think his deployment is going to be more like if we look at last year, I think his deployment is more similar to what he got on the Rangers than what he got in Winnipeg. Um, I think the Ranger deployment is pretty similar. And although, you know, Voracek is a huge upgrade on his right wing but I still don't see it as that that different from what it was like on the Rangers. Granted, you know, Voracek is obviously so much better, but ultimately the the deployment and kind of I think the role he'll play is going to be similar um, as it was in the Rangers. So I see him sticking more to around 55 with, of course, the awful peripherals. I promise we're not going to take the low on everybody, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I had him, I had him low here. Well, well, we did split on one. Thank God. But we, I have him low here too as well. So um, I I think I called him right at 56 or something like that. I would love to be proven wrong. Um, yes, we called him like a, a vanilla player, but I, for some reason I feel, my, I feel myself rooting for, for Kevin Hayes just like from a person standpoint. I don't know why. But uh, I really want to see him outperform what I'm projecting for him. Obviously because even if I thought he was at 65, he wouldn't really be on my radar due to lack of peripherals and us being in Cats Leagues and all that good stuff. But um I, I want to see him do better, but without being on that top power play, the, the fall off from power play one to power play two is so massive. And yes, I, I get that you're factoring in the loss of power play points, but I think it's, it's, it's a pretty big loss. Um, I, I don't know. And, and then the next question is, will he get to see the amount of ice time he got on the Rangers, which was, you know, in the 18 mid 18 minutes, which is about what Voracek gets, or is he going to see something closer to what they did with Nolan Patrick, which is around 15 minutes. I think he gets somewhere in between. I think he winds up 17 to 18 minutes. So his on ice, his time on ice is going to be a little lower than it was in, in on the Rangers and a bunch higher than it was on in Winnipeg. So kind of hedging the bet there and kind of stick him 
a little better than than what we've seen from before just because of his line mates and the slightly increased ice time that he had compared to the season as a whole last season. Very astute observations. I think you guys are right on with Kevin Hayes. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully and- we aren't too analytical here. <laughs> so maybe let's just end this show with a couple players. These are the guys that I was saying at the start that people might say, like, why are you even talking about these guys? They're not even worth drafting in leagues. But uh, Brian <laughs> thinks they are. So, Brian, you can make your arguments, and then we'll see if you could convince one of the three of us. Uh, so I'm talking about Carl Soderberg and Andre Burkowski. So Soderberg, uh, 49 points last season, which was like super impressive because he didn't get you know top power play time on Colorado. He was on the second line, didn't have great line mates, somehow got all the way up to 49 points. So you got to give him his due. Now he goes to Arizona. Probably this is going to be another one of these deployment questions. Like, is he the second line center? In which case, maybe he can do something similar. Or is he a bottom six center, which is kind of where I'm leaning. So that's why I put him down at like 40 points and Brian said 50. And then Burakovsky, he's never really done anything. Like, he actually had a 45-point pace back in 2016-17. And then since then, 37. And then last year, just terrible. Like, 25 points in 76 games with Washington. Now he goes to Colorado. There's a chance he could get in the top six uh, if he could beat out, you know, Don Skoy and Tyson Jost. Uh, so Brian put him all the way at 50. I think this is going to be one of these ones that Brian might change his mind. Or maybe not. I don't know. I have him down to, like, 35. So, Brian, do you want to make your arguments for Soderberg or Burakovsky? Yeah, I think where we disagree on Soderberg is in deployment, right? You think he's going to be the third line center, and I could see him uh, being, you know, sort of a, a flex guy who could move between center and the wing, and that he could potentially play on the left side on the second line, which means he's playing with one of Kessel or Keller. I, By the way, I have acknowledged in my projection in our almanac that, like, Soderbergh has some real downside. 35 points would not surprise me. But I do think that he's a for real player who is like kind of like Hayes, except Hayes finally got his opportunity to produce. Soderbergh's been around forever. He's always been fine in the role he's been given, but he's never really been given the opportunity to to show up. And I think Arizona is going to need him to, to have some pretty solid offensive production and in their top six, essentially. So uh, that's why I put him at 50 and uh, acknowledging it's a swing and this is a big floor-ceiling kind of difference. And Burkowski, kind of a similar story. Um, I find it funny how I end up being the optimist on guys like these. Like, Elon, if if Burakovsky was someone... Or I guess I was going to say, like, if he was someone coming out of junior, you'd be all over him. I was like, whoa, 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 hold on. Um, but, of course, we have this history to go on, which is very valuable in trying to project. And I know Burakovsky looked awful in Washington last year. He was only seeing 11 minutes a night, uh, and all his rate stats went the wrong way. Uh, he had a really, really rough time, and I just feel like his spirit's we're kind of crushed. So I feel like Burakovsky, like Soderberg, could end up in a top six role. Maybe he gets to play with Nazem Kadri, maybe also Yunus Donskoy, uh, and that could help bring out the Burakovsky that we thought was there as recently as two years ago, right? And in the years before that, we also thought it was there when he was still in Washington. And it was like, come on, take away Marcus Johansson's power play spot, give it to Andre Burakovsky. And then Johansson left and Burakovsky was not able to take a step forward. So I think he's getting out of a situation in Washington where he clearly wasn't wanted. And I'm hoping Colorado shows him how much they wanted him by putting him on the second line. So Burakovsky and Soderberg, what they have in common for me, two guys, uh, Soderberg has proven his skill a little bit more, but two guys who are in a new situation, 
uh, with a team that has made, you know, uh, an attempt and effort to sign them, bring them on board. And I'm hoping they both land top six roles and acknowledge uh, that 50 points is a bit of a swing from me. But and, and that at the same time, their downside is pretty massive. So these are these are big risky guys that maybe they start as a free agent stream, uh, not someone you might even want to spend a late round draft pick on. Uh, but Gamby, Brandon, uh, what do you think? Are you going to give me any slack here? Or are you 100% with Elon? Like, just forget about these guys. I will give you a little bit of Burakovsky credit. Uh, I think that if they do shuffle things in, in Colorado, Burakovsky could get really interesting. And he's definitely someone that I'm immediately kind of put, put on my watch list. I feel like he's always that been that guy. Just put on your watch list. He may have an opportunity at some point. Um uh, that's kind of how I see Burakovsky. And for Burakovsky, I, I think he has a pretty high ceiling. I think I have him for 40. But really, like you said, it's all about deployment, right? It's all about if he can jump a few a few players, if he can get uh, good deployment on that on that top line at some point during the season, maybe. As for Soderberg, I am completely in the opposite direction. Um, I, I think, and, and there's, a, there's a reason for that. I think it doesn't really matter whether he's second or third line center. Uh, I, th- I think the thing that I look at the most is his offensive zone starts. He's always been below 50%. And the last two seasons, he's been in the 30s. Last season, uh, he was 31.1%. Still got 49 points, which is insane. Uh, still eight That's power encouraging assists. to me, if anything. Well, but the thing is, I don't know if he's going to be on a power play in Arizona. Um, and maybe that's a little bit of a hot take, but I don't know if he's on a power play. The thing in Arizona that is very different uh, from Colorado, similar but different in Colorado, is that Arizona has a line that is completely defensive. Just entirely defensive, gets the hardest minutes, the least offensive deployment. And, and that line last year included Hinostrosa. He got 31-ish percent um, off- offensive zone starts. And I think that that's exactly what Soderberg is going to do. I think he's going to come in and be a perfect, perfect fit for that line that gets the hardest minutes at five on five and the most kind of defensive deployment. And so I don't really think it matters where he is because that's the player he is i don't think you acquire a guy like soderberg and hope that all of a sudden you can give him 60 percent offensive zone starts or 50 or whatever i think you're acquiring him knowing he's a defensive forward um so to me with someone like soderberg i think at the end of the day he's just such a defensive role that the upside just isn't there and if you look at um kind of the power play in colorado even sure I don't know. I just don't think there's going to be power play points either. And he got, I think last year, I think he got 10 power play points and then three shorthanded goals. So in my opinion, take away some, if not most of those uh, power play points. And you're looking at more of a 40 point guy. Uh, and especially I think Arizona will use him even more defensively than uh, Colorado did. So I'm kind of the reverse, actually. I'm a little higher on Soderbergh than you are. And I think I'm a little lower on Burkowski, <laughs> although I'm not. I don't know. I think this means I'm think- right. 40 <laughs> points for Burakovsky feels hmm, it actually feels it might be a little low if he's able to stay second line the whole time I feel like I'm right in the middle of like Alon called 35 Brian called 50 on Burakovsky I'm probably like 42 to be very annoying um with with Soderbergh however I think I would go north of 45 and yes I get that he is likely going to be playing very defensive minutes but he's able to show that he could do that and still produce uh, somehow on Colorado on a second power play unit, which is pretty not good there. Also, um, Arizona is one of those weird teams. This is actually a team I could have mentioned previously in, in the same episode. They do play two defensemen on the top power play. Rather, they have started. Chikrin is getting a lot of uh, of of defense uh, uh, power play one time with 
all of Reckman Larson. They complement each other relatively well. I think that's going to continue into this next season. I don't think Chickern is going to be at scratch as much, which means they are going to have three players, which are probably going to be Keller, Kessel, and a center. I don't know which one. You'd probably say Schmaltz, but Schmaltz is very bad at the faceoff. So step on, maybe. Um, however, that ties into my next point that Schmaltz is very bad at the faceoff. So if you're going to have your second line center, if that's Schmaltz, it might be worth it to put him on the wing and throw Soderberg in as a second line center. Maybe. I'm not saying it's ha- it can happen. I just, I just say it's, it's a possibility. Um, although uh, there are op- other options that could take that second line center away. Barrett Hayton coming in could be a possibility. Uh, Nick Merkley could be a possibility. Um, I think I think camp and and preseason is going to be really interesting with Arizona because I think that that second line center position is not necessarily locked down. I think we can see Schmaltz to the wing. Um, so with that in mind, I think I would call Soderberg something like forty seven and Burkowski again like forty two. So I'm right right in the right in the middle. So high on Soderberg, low on Burkowski, I guess. Interesting. So you guys disagree, and Brian and I disagree. So let's just call it a wash. Let's just say that we all won, which is, I think, what happened in this episode, because we finally yes. got that crossover yeah. that everyone's been waiting for of our two podcasts. Everybody loses with Soderbergh and Burkowski. Yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> don't draft these guys. Yeah, just don't do it. If you're still listening and you're in a deep enough league, consider them. Otherwise, don't do it. They're stream to start. Yes. Yeah. Just put them on your watch list. That's as good as it's going to get. Hey, that's something because uh, some like Yahoo is very generous. You get unlimited watch lists, but if you're on ESPN, you have to like be careful. You have to decide who's worthy of your watch list for some stupid reason. Anyway, okay. So thank you guys so much for coming on our show again, listeners. If you've never listened to Fantasy Hockey Podcast before, like you probably have room for another Fantasy Hockey Podcast in your week. And so I would definitely check these guys out. And uh, David or Brandon, do you want to say any uh, final things, like promote anything before we head out? Sure, why not? So one thing I just wanted to mention on the show is I think it's a great compliment to what you guys already get on Keeping Carlson. We do three episodes during the week, uh, and we Shorter, focus really they're, – they're short. They're 20 to 30 minutes uh, during the week in season, and we really focus on who to pick up. Uh, we have different kind of themes. We have an unsustainable episode where we kind of go through uh, people's stats week to week and say who's an unsustainable pickup, who's a sustainable pickup, and, and it's almost like a sleeper episode midseason, uh, and we do that on Wednesdays, and we also do Monday and Friday. So you, you get a little bit of a different feel than uh, – what Elon and Brian do. And then the other two things to mention, um, we have a discord where we have, you know, almost 400 fantasy hockey fans that are constantly talking. It's completely free. So that's how we're recording this right now. So be sure to join that. And and you can find everything on our site or Twitter. So our site is fantasyhockeypodcast.com. And then our Twitter, which uh, Elon and Brian already kindly mentioned is at fantasy hockey PD. But thanks, Twitter. uh, Yep. That is Twitter. Hopefully we have you guys over. Okay, great. Yeah, I think, well, at least you got to check out the episode that Brian and I were on. And I think by that, once you've listened to these guys a couple times, you're going to be convinced. Subscribe to both. Uh, it's been a real pleasure having you two on the show. And actually, one last thing I'll just mention to our listeners is the Cupful, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, which we definitely want you to get in on. It's available to all patrons. By the way, uh, I don't know, I don't want to put you guys on the spot, but I would give you guys free entry into the Cupful. If you were interested, you could start at the bottom tier and see if you could climb your way up to t- 
tier one. But uh, for everyone else, all you have to do is become a patron of Keeping Carlson. You get a bunch of other perks, but the main perk I want to promote right now is the couple, and the registration deadline is September 12th. So uh, definitely check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron for more information. And by the way, if you did play in the Cupful last year and you haven't registered, you still need to register because obviously I, don't, I need to know whether you plan to play again or not. Okay, but with that, uh, let's cue the outro music. And uh, Brian, you want to read some credits or what are we, we going to do here? Uh, I think we will just say thanks to our fantasy hockey podcast friends. I used uh, Hockey Viz, Hockey Reference, Hockey DB. Natural Statric and Corsica Hockey off the top of my head. That's who I used to do research for this episode. Uh, and also our own almanac. It's really great when, you know, we've already done our work for 304 skaters and 70 goalies. Uh, you can check it. I, I don't know if you mentioned it, Elon. Anyone listening should already know it exists. KeepingCarlson.com slash almanac, though. Just a robot program to say it every 24 hours or so. Right. Okay, and then again, Fantasy Hockey Podcast is the name of their podcast at, uh, at fantasy hockey pd there we go looking forward to your guys next episode and uh, looking forward to hear what people think of the show thanks brandon thanks gamby until next time keep on keeping carl son